There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. The title of this episode of Revealing the True Light is Speaking in Tongues, the Gift, the Mystery, and the Controversy. I believe this is going to be of great interest to you, even if you are not yet a follower of Jesus. And I believe it will be very informative to you and helpful if you are a born-again believer who has not yet experienced this manifestation of the Holy Spirit, or if you have received the infilling of the power of the Holy Spirit with that manifestation of speaking in tongues, there's still going to be some questions answered and issues resolved that I believe will be very informative. Now, the reason I decided to do this presentation is because of a recent video I saw online of a former New Ager who I respect. And she was interviewing a fellow Christian concerning the gift of tongues. And their consensus was that it is not for today. And the gift of tongues that is a common experience among those who are called charismatics is not the real gift of tongues. They belong to or subscribe to a mindset called cessationism. And cessationists are those who believe that the signs and wonders kind of ministry, these supernatural manifestations that were so prevalent in the early church, no longer manifest, that they cease to happen in such degree after the first century and some say on into the second century. And then we moved into a new phase. But I personally believe that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The church was birthed in the supernatural and should continue all the way through to the coming of the Lord in the supernatural. And that God has not changed. He still desires to move in the lives of believers this way. Quite often, cessationists depend more on theology, on doctrines, on creeds. I believe in education. I have an earned Bachelor of Theology degree. I've taught in three Bible colleges, and I have an honorary Doctor of Divinity that was given to me by Faith Theological Seminary because of my work in the area of comparative religion, specifically the book I wrote, In Search of the True Light, which is an in-depth comparison of over 20 religions. So I do believe in knowing in-depth the original Hebrew, the original Greek, to properly break down the meaning of various passages of Scripture. And and so I, I do not... Uh, I do not discredit the need for education, but I do believe Paul meant what he said when he told the Corinthians that he did not come to them in the wisdom of man, but in the demonstration of the power of God, and that that was far more important. One primary argument that is used for cessationism is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 
through 12. Let me quote it to you. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. And whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly. The King James says, now we see through a glass darkly. But then, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as also I am known. And they contend, who subscribe to that point of view, that which is perfect has come. And that is the complete word of God, 66 books in the canon of scripture. And so we no longer need these manifestations. Well, if you're sick, you do need a miraculous healing. And if you are preaching in an area of the world where there's a lot of demon possession, you need discernment of spirits. There's still a great need for the supernatural power and the supernatural manifestations of the Holy Spirit. But listen to this. Paul said, where there are prophecies, they will fail. And where there are tongues, they will cease. Well, when are they going to cease? When is speaking in tongues as a viable gift of the Holy Spirit going to cease? He says in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 13, when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be done away. And then in verse 12, he says that we see in a mirror dimly now, we see a reflection of the fullness of the glory of God and what God has destined for us. But then we're going to see face to face. And I believe he was referring to not the coming of the Bible, not the putting together of the canon of scripture, but he was referring to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ when absolute perfection will envelop the planet. And when we will know completely, we will understand completely the things of God, the mysteries of the kingdom. Now we know in part, but then we shall know even as also we are known. The mind of Christ will blossom in us with infinitely deep wisdom and understanding. That's talking about the coming of the Lord, not the formation of the Bible. And besides, Jesus paid a horrendous price so that he could pour out these gifts on our lives. Psalm 68 verse 18 prophesied of the ascension of the Lord Jesus. Listen, thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive, thou hast received gifts for men. Yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. That's talking about the completion of his earthly sojourn. When he ascended on high, after having gone through the horrid execution of the cross, and assuming the death debt for every man, tasting death for every one of us, and then being buried, and then three days later rising again, he went through all of that, harsh persecution and execution so that you and I could receive gifts, the gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life, and the gift of the Holy Spirit with all 
the gifts contained within the gift of the Holy Spirit that are distributed as he wills. And one of those gifts is the gift of tongues. And if Jesus went to such degree to pay such a price so that we could receive these gifts, we should value them and we should respect them. We should reverence them and we should seek after them. And usually those who have a cessationist point of view are those who have not experienced these gifts of the Spirit. So who has the most authoritative view on this subject? Let me answer that question with another question. If you needed surgery on your body, who would you go to? Would you go to someone who had just graduated from college, who had all the book learning on surgery, but had never performed one? Or would you go to a surgeon who has a long list of successful surgeries, 100, 200, 300 surgeries performed in the same area you need and all of them successes? Which one would you go to? The man who has head knowledge or the man who has experience? I believe the latter would be your answer. Well, I have experience with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and I have experience with the gift of tongues. Let me share with you my personal story. I was saved back in 1970, the fall of 1970, after searching through Eastern religions. I was an avid seeker of truth. I went through Edgar Cayce groups. I went through uh, the study of Kundalini Yoga. I studied under an Indian guru personally. I went through all of that, and then I was born again. But when I was born again, it was not a profoundly powerful supernatural experience. I did feel an inner sensation of the presence of the Lord coming into my heart that was momentary. But for a year after that, I never felt the power of God. And a lot of people in the groups I was a part of would talk about this supernatural sensation they would feel. And most of them had the gift of tongues. And many of them had had real supernatural manifestations like falling out under the power of God, which never happened to me at that time. And, and so I really passionately sought God for a year that I would have this endowment with power. That's how Jesus described it. He told the disciples to go and tarry in Jerusalem until they be endued with power. The Greek word is dunamis, from which we get the word dynamite. And so that means kind of an explosive release of supernatural power in your life. And I wanted that. Why? Not because I was intrigued with supernatural phenomenon, which is so prevalent in New Age spirituality. I wasn't making an idol out of supernatural manifestations. I longed to be more intimately connected to God and more powerfully used of God for the sake of other people and for the sake of advancing God's kingdom. So for a year, I sought God fervently. I was in prayer meeting after prayer meeting where people laid hands on me and prayed for me to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is a biblical way of doing it. And you can find evidence for that in the book of Acts but it never happened. Then God surprised me one day when I wasn't even expecting it and I wasn't even focused on myself. I happened to walk on the parking lot of a restaurant, the Dairy Cream restaurant in Cleveland, Tennessee, and a woman was sitting there with a back brace on. 
and I could tell she was in pain. And I introduced myself. I said, I'm a minister. I believe in God's power to heal. I would like to pray for you that God will heal you because I believe God moves outside of the church just as much as inside. And she said, well, I'm a believer too. You're very welcome to pray. Again, no thought for myself. I reached out and grabbed her hand with my right hand and lifted my left hand to heaven. And it happened powerfully. It was like my left hand almost acted like a supernatural lightning rod because the fire of God, and that's the only way I can describe it. It was like an intense, overwhelming surge of God's power hit me in the hand, traveled down through my arm, and exploded in my chest in this incredible, joyful ecstasy that I cannot describe in words. And immediately, without any effort on my part, I began speaking in tongues with all my might. And for a long time, maybe 10 or 15 minutes, I was shouting and praising God and lifting my hands and leaping for joy on that parking lot speaking in tongues. And from that day forward, there has never been a day in 50 years, over 50 years, that I have not felt that presence of God, that witness of the Holy Spirit in my life. Prior to that, I had very little, if any, supernatural sensation internally. But since that moment of being baptized with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, it's been an intense journey supernaturally. And so I know it was so meaningful to me and so powerful to me. I want to share it with you, even if you're a disbeliever, even if you've discounted this gift as being irrelevant or uh, wrong for people to seek after today, I want you to really prayerfully listen to what I have to share because you may change your mind. And if you've never had this experience of being born again, of course, that has to come first. If you are of a new age mindset or a Hindu or a Buddhist, then first things first is receive Jesus into your heart and ask him to be Lord of your life, repent of your sins, be washed in the blood of Jesus, and then ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Now, can you find this evidence in Scripture? Absolutely. There are many undeniable references in Scripture. Let's start with Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 18. This is one of Jesus' final directives before he left the world. He said to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who believes not will be condemned. And verse 17, he said, these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. And then number two on the list, he said, they will speak with new tongues. And the Greek word is glossa, G-L-O-S-S-A, from which we get the word glossolalia, which is a kind of a modern word used to describe speaking in tongues. And it means languages that are not naturally acquired or naturally learned. And then he went on to give some other signs like they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And then he ascended to heaven. Some people say that passage of scripture does not appear in the earliest manuscripts. Well, there are a few in which it does not appear, but 99% of 
the early Greek manuscripts contain that passage. And also you can find references to that passage in the writings of the early church fathers on into the, uh, uh, the second century. And so most people believe it is a viable and acceptable part of the inspired body of Scripture that we hold to as being God-inspired. Now, let me mention also that there was an ancient prophecy about speaking in tongues that Paul said was fulfilled when this experience was evidenced among the early believers. It's Isaiah 28, verses 11, 12, and 13. Isaiah 28, 11 through 13. Listen. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people, to whom he said, This is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. God said this experience of speaking in tongues would bring a tremendous amount of spiritual rest, a a peace, a shalom to your heart, a contentment in God, a connection with God. This is the rest whereby you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing. But then it said they would not hear, but the word of the Lord was to them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and caught. Which is a description of how some of the early Jews, certainly not all of them, some of them were clinging to their doctrine from the Torah and refused to go on with this supernatural outpouring that was prophesied by Joel, that was prophesied by Ezekiel, that was prophesied by Isaiah. And yet the word of the Lord was to them line upon line, precept upon precept. In other words, they were more engrossed in and passionate about theology and doctrine than an encounter with God. And that still happens. That still happens. We know that this passage of Scripture was definitely a reference to the New Testament outpouring of the gift of tongues because Paul referenced it in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 21, later on. He said, in the law, it is written with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me. And he was using that to refer to the gift of tongues, which is not only a gift where you can speak in the languages of other people supernaturally, but a prayer language. And we'll get to that more later on. Also, another evidence that proves that that passage in Isaiah was forecasting what would happen in the New Testament era is the fact that in verse 16 of the same chapter, Isaiah 28, 16, we find a messianic prophecy. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, which was quoted by Peter later on. And so this passage, even though it dealt with certain issues that were happening in Isaiah's day, on a higher level, dealt with prophetically foretelling what would happen in the new covenant age. And speaking in tongues was going to be a means of bringing tremendous spiritual, supernatural rest and refreshing to the people of God who received that gift. Now, it's spoken of 
in the book of Acts three major times. Actually, five times people are described being filled with the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the word baptism means being immersed in the power of God. Three of those five times, they all spoke with tongues. And as far as we know, in uh, two of the situations, they all spoke in tongues. The third one, it's implied they all spoke with tongues. And in the other two where it's not mentioned, I believe there's a lot of evidence to believe that they did experience it. Let's go through it right now. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. This is the day of Pentecost, the birth of the church. The disciples are gathered in the upper room, and the Bible said, after 10 days of waiting, that when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven like a rushing, mighty wind. I believe it wasn't a wind. It sounded like a wind. It was the breath of God breathing into that room. And cloven tongues of fire appeared over each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So it was coinciding with this infilling was this outflowing of speaking in tongues. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, they came together and were confounded and confused because they heard every man in their own language preaching the wonderful works of God. And then it lists about a dozen different nations or more that they had come from. So the first time speaking in tongues manifested, it was in known languages. And many who say this gift is no longer relevant declare that we have uh, translations of the Bible worldwide now, so it's not as needy. And yet there are over a thousand languages that do not have the Bible in their own language yet. And so that's not a relevant argument. And of course, uh, there would be other contentions made why this is no longer happening or no longer relevant. Now, I have never experienced preaching a whole message in tongues, but I have experienced small messages in tongues being known by someone in his own language. For instance, one time I was ministering and an Orthodox Jew came to my service and he was very unreceptive and I couldn't reach him no matter how I preached on things I thought he could relate to like Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. He just had his arms folded and very resistant to the whole thing. And so I thought, well, I, I can't reach him. I'll just go on and minister to other people in the congregation. And I began praying for people to be healed. And during that time, I also felt the moving of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes it's nearly irresistible. And I would speak in tongues outwardly while I was praying, which is something I don't do very often in a church setting. And that Jewish person looked at someone sitting next to him and he said, does that minister know Hebrew? And that person knew me. And this was quite a few years ago, probably about 35 or 40 years ago. He said, no, he doesn't know Hebrew. And at the time I knew very little. And 
he said, well, he's speaking in fluent Hebrew right now. And my friend said, well, that's exciting. What is he saying? He's telling me, that Jewish man said, that Yeshua is the Messiah, and I should accept him into my life as my Savior. That broke down all the barriers, and he ran to the altar and gave his life to the Lord. Another time it happened at a Baptist uh, assembly called Ridgecrest Assembly in Black Mountain, North Carolina, where I was speaking with a crowd of about 200 young Baptist youth leaders from all over the world about a second experience beyond salvation, and I gave them evidence for that. Uh, in Acts chapter 19, for instance, which we'll cover in a little bit. And they said, we understand what you're saying, and we see the evidence for it in Scripture, but we've been taught that we received the fullness of the Holy Spirit from the moment we got saved. So we're confused. I said, I don't know what to do except to pray. And so we all joined hands and began to pray. And while we were praying, once again, the power of God moved on me so overwhelmingly, I began speaking in tongues. Well, the man that had my hand started shaking, and I thought, I'm scaring him. I need to quit doing this, but it wasn't shaking from fear. It was shaking from awe, because after I finished praying, he looked at me wide-eyed. He said, do you know my language? I'm from Chile. I said, no, I don't know your language. He said, well, you were praying in my native dialect, not only my language, but the region uh, that I come from has a certain dialect, and you were praying in that. I said, well, what did I say? He said, well, the words you spoke were directly from God. And he said, the words that my servant has spoken are words of truth, hear him. And so that broke down the barriers once again, and all these wonderful Baptist people that loved the Lord, that wanted more of God, prayed with me for about an hour, and many of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues and had a genuine encounter with the Lord. And so my ultimate goal by giving this presentation is that you experience the fullness of what God has for you. Now that was Acts chapter 2, the first time the Holy Spirit poured out. In Acts chapter 8, Philip preached in Samaria and great signs and wonders took place. Many healings, many miracles, and many deliverances of people that were demon-possessed. And that needs to happen again. Our world is overwhelmed with demonic activity, and we need empowered Christians that know how to pray people out of demonic possession, that know how to pray for the sick and see them healed. Because Acts chapter 8, verse 8 says, there was great joy in the city. But when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had heard the word of God, they sent uh, Peter and John to them to pray for them to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They had received the word of God. They'd received Jesus as their Savior because that's what Philip preached. But they needed the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they laid hands on them and received the Holy Spirit. In that passage, it is not said that they spoke in tongues. However, there was such a manifestation of the power of God that Simon the sorcerer asked if he could pay for that power. Of course, he was rebuked by Peter, who said uh, that that was wickedness on his part, that he thought that the power of God could be purchased with money. All right, the next time in Scripture is Acts chapter 9, where where Ananias prayed for Saul to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, who later became Paul the Apostle. 
And we are not told in chapter 9 that Paul spoke in tongues at that moment. But later on, he mentioned in 1 Corinthians 14, 18, he made the statement, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. So see, Paul knew the power of speaking in tongues, not only to preach to people of other languages, which he possibly did, we don't have an account of that, but as a private prayer language, which he testified of later in Scripture. The next uh, portion of Scripture I want to take you to is Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 48. Peter is preaching in Cornelius' household, and the Holy Spirit fell on all that heard the word, and the Jews that came with Peter were astonished because on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. How did they know that? The next line says, For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Now, there was no one of a foreign country to preach to there. There was no interpreter present. And God was the one who authored that outpouring. Peter didn't ask for it to happen. Cornelius didn't ask for it to happen. It was a sovereign move of God. If it was against the will of God for people to speak in tongues in group settings, in church settings, God would never have moved contrary to his own will in this church gathering. Because back in that day, church was primarily held in homes. Home churches were the way the church expanded. And it was many years before they started building buildings. The next time is Ephesians chapter 19. And you can look these up and see in greater detail what it's all about. Paul, having passed through the coast, came to, uh, or, or it happened that Apollos was at Corinth, and Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And he found certain disciples there. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? When they believed what? When they believed the gospel. They were disciples, right? So they said to him, we've not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. He said, unto, then, what, unto what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism, which is water baptism and repentance. And Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people they should believe on him who should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus, when they heard that, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul laid his hands on them, and the Bible said the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now, it didn't say they all spoke with tongues. Some may have spoken in tongues, and others may have prophesied. But I tend to believe they all spoke in tongues, and they all prophesied. And there was about 12 people there that day. Now, let's quickly go into 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 because there's some important points I need to cover before we end. In 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 11, it talks about the nine supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit. These are not naturally acquired things. The word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, does not involve naturally acquired knowledge or wisdom. It's supernaturally inspired insights from God in the area of knowledge or wisdom. And in that list, you also find one of the nine gifts of the Spirit being, the King James Version says, diverse kinds of tongues. The New King James says, different kinds of tongues. And then the last of the nine gifts is interpretation of tongues, which is not translation of tongues, but the interpretation of what those tongues mean, which sometimes may involve translation. Now, over in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul explains in greater detail the gift of tongues. And in verse 2, 
Listen to what he said. He who speaks in an, an unknown tongue, the King James says, he who speaks in an unknown tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. And that's talking about your regenerated spirit infused with the Holy Spirit is speaking in a mysterious language of praise to God. This is very clear that when you're speaking in the unknown tongue, there are times because it's diverse kinds of tongues. Sometimes it does manifest as a known language for the purpose of preaching, but at other times it's a prayer language. And you're not speaking to men when it's a prayer language, you're speaking to God, and in the Spirit you're speaking mysteries. And that's why in verse 4, Paul says, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So he's encouraging people to go after prophecy as a gift and not just speaking in tongues. He's not discouraging them from speaking in tongues and some people use that passage of Scripture to say you don't want to speak in tongues because it edifies yourself. Well, salvation edifies yourself. Being forgiven of your sins, forgiveness of sins edifies yourself. There's a lot of things. Receiving the gift of eternal life is very self-edifying. God wants you to be edified. There are better ways to serve others than to receive these things that bless you but it doesn't mean you should avoid the things that bless you, right? Then Paul went on to say, I wish you all spoke with tongues. He never said you shouldn't do it. He said, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. You should read the whole chapter. It's very informative. And then he said in verse 13, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret, which is a supernatural ability to comprehend what is being communicated in tongues. But it is an ecstatic prayer language. And someone who's never had that experience should never tell you that it's not relevant uh, because you have to have the experience to really understand its relevance, its importance, and its power. Paul said, if I pray in a tongue, he's not talking about preaching. He didn't say, if I preach in a tongue, he said, if I pray in a tongue, verse 14, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. I pray in tongues almost every day. And when I do, I don't comprehend what I'm saying, but I am so connected with God supernaturally. It's so powerful. In verse 15, he said, what is my conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit, small letter S. It's talking about your regenerated spirit. And I will also pray with the understanding. So he's saying, when I pray, part of that time I'm praying in tongues. Part of that time I'm praying with my understanding. And he said, I will sing with the Spirit. And I will sing with the understanding. And so I have often in the past 50 years sung in tongues to God. And it's such an ecstatically beautiful experience. Then on into that chapter, he said, uh, that if you are blessing your food, say, for instance, or blessing the congregation or blessing a service, praying God's blessing on a service, and you do it in the Spirit, if you bless with the Spirit or if you bless by speaking in tongue, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? 
Listen to the next verse very carefully. He said, you indeed give thanks well. And so speaking in tongues is a powerful and acceptable, more than acceptable, a wonderful way to pray. You do give thanks well, but the other is not edified. Then he gave that classic statement, I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in tongues. I agree with that. When I preach, I very rarely speak with tongues. And it's usually toward the end of the service when I'm ministering to people and sometimes I break into tongues. But while I'm preaching, I'm preaching in English or I'm preaching with a translator on a foreign, uh, in a foreign crusade or on a, uh, meet, in a meeting where others are present of another language. So in verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 14, Paul said, If anyone speaks in a tongue, let it be by two or at most by three in each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there's no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church. Let him speak to himself and to God. I believe that has been one of the most misunderstood passages in the entire Bible uh, with regard to this subject because he did not mean not to speak in tongues at all in the church. I believe he was indicating that if there's no interpreter present, the person speaking in tongues should not dominate the assembly, say, by standing up and speaking out loud while all the attention is drawn to that person, but rather he should speak. How do you speak? With your mouth, with your tongue. He should speak to himself and to God. In other words, in a much lower tone of voice, let it be a worship connection between you and God, but not something to get the attention of the whole congregation, which happens. I've been in assembly meetings where a thousand plus people were speaking in tongues at one time, and no one was dominating the meeting and drawing attention to himself or herself. It was all a congregational act of worship toward God. And I've been in meetings where while that was going on, tremendous creative miracles happened. I remember one where a cripple threw down his braces and his crutches and was dancing before the Lord. And because of polio, had not walked like that in a, about 40 or 50 years. He contracted polio as a child and got healed when we were all praising God in tongues. See, no wonder the enemy wants to rob people of this experience. Because in verse 39 of 1 Corinthians 14, Paul ended by saying, forbid not to speak with tongues. Do not forbid people this experience. Now, I have a number of questions concerning speaking in tongues that I believe are important, and I'm going to go over them really quickly. Number one, are tongues the languages of men and angels? I don't believe you can absolutely prove that they are languages of angels. In 1 Corinthians 13, 1, Paul said, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not charity or love, I become like a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. He did not indicate in that verse that speaking in tongues is sometimes a heavenly or angelic language. I tend to believe that's possible, but... I don't believe it's provable. Uh, I do know that it's provable that it's other known languages in this world, but sometimes it's a language that no man understands. 
Could that be a heavenly language, an angelic language? Quite possibly. Number two, do you have to speak in tongues to be saved? Absolutely not. Paul said, do all speak with tongues? I believe when you're saved, the Bible says the Spirit of God dwells in you. For by one Spirit, we are all baptized into one body. And the Bible says that no one can say Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Spirit. And so if a person has been born again, they are born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within them, but they may not have yet received that endowment with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's like a glass being filled to the brim and then overflowing. Uh, I believe A.W. Tozer's quote is so powerful. He said, though every believer has the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit does not have every believer. And we need to pray for that to happen. Number three, can people be born again and filled with the Holy Spirit simultaneously? Yes, it happened at Cornelius' house. I've seen it happen myself. Number four question, is it possible to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit without speaking in tongues? I believe that there are some times when people are genuinely filled with the Holy Spirit that do not have that manifestation. I believe it's normal usually for them to have that manifestation, but not a requirement. Uh, Number five question, is it wrong to prompt people to speak in tongues? Yes, I believe it's absolutely wrong. There was no people prompting the apostles in the upper room to yield their tongue. Uh, I believe if God does it, it is powerful enough for God to initiate it. Number six, is it true that the devil and demons cannot understand tongues and that's why you want to speak in tongues? Absolutely not. The devil and his demons understand all the languages of the world. They don't tempt Spanish men in English. They don't tempt uh, English-speaking people in Spanish. If you're English-speaking and a man, have you ever heard a demon say, hey, ella es muy bonita, señorita? Of course not because demons are multilingual. And so they understand what you're saying when you speak in tongues. And that's what makes it powerful because they understand that's not you praying, but the Holy Spirit praying out of you. And it's very much of a repellent to demonic powers. Number seven, is there such a thing as warring tongues? You can't find that in the Bible. And I don't believe it's uh, an acceptable practice to practice war in tongues, which is speaking in tongues in a very forceful, almost angry way as if you're rebuking demonic powers uh, intentionally on your part. I don't subscribe to that. Number eight, have there been excesses? And are there times when people who claim to be speaking in tongues actually are not? Yes, I believe some people who think they've spoken in tongues actually have not had the valid experience. And maybe that's Uh, had a negative effect to discredit the gift altogether. And then number nine, the final question is, would you like to receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit? If you do want this manifestation of speaking in tongues and you do want the baptism of the Holy Spirit, contact me. Send me an email from one of our websites, shreveministries.org or thetruelight.net, and I will pray with you. I've prayed with people all over the world to be saved, and I've prayed with people all over the world to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I pray this has been informative to you. I'm sure I'll get some comments, and I welcome them. God bless you. I love you in the Lord, and I look forward to connecting with you on the next episode. 
Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shree's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.